Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are. And to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve. Because she was the mother of all living. Let us pray. Gracious God, three and one, one and three. We all exalt and lift up your name. You are God above all. You are holy, just and righteous. And now, Lord, by your spirit, we ask that you would assist us in hearing your word. Give to us the grace to hear, the grace to understand, and the grace to not only believe, but in believing, obey. I decrease so that you may increase. Be glorified in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. When we last gathered on the Lord's Day, we considered the curse of God upon the woman who led the man astray by disobeying the command of God to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God said to the woman in Genesis 3.16, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. God, God's commission to man was that man was to be fruitful and multiply. The Lord God will not change his charge or commission to men to be fruitful and multiply, but rather the fruit of the woman's womb would no longer be a holy offspring, but now she will in pain produce children of wrath. There will be no child born who is untouched by the sin of Adam. Their covenant head and the woman will bring forth these children of wrath with a multiplicity of pain. And as we discussed last week and often death, the Lord God continued verse 16, chapter three, your desire shall your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. The woman did not consult her husband prior to the partaking of the forbidden fruit. She acted independently of her covenant head. She deliberately disobeyed a command from God communicated to her by her husband, her covenant head. Therefore, her curse will be that she will desire to rule over her husband. But she will never break God's creative order of male headship. This struggle of power and authority will be a continual struggle in the marriage union. And as we said last week, not to the same degree with every woman, nor is it true to the same degree in every marriage. But it is a true curse that must be confessed and that must be repented, not ignored, not denied and not resisted. Brothers and sisters, when we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And God has graciously given to his elect his Holy Spirit. To sanctify us from sin, the sin that so easily besets us. And now this morning, with God's help, we will consider the curse of God upon man for his sin and disobedience to God. Let us consider our text once more. Genesis three seventeen, And God said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. And have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. 
in pain. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall produce or bring forth for you. And you shall eat of the plants and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for dust you are. And dust you shall return. Brothers and sisters, what was Adam's commission? What had Adam been called to do by God? What had Adam been called to accomplish by God? The scriptures give us the answer in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. Verse 26, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has life. I have given every green plant for food. Man was to fill the earth, to be fruitful, to multiply. To fill the earth with holy offspring. Again, holy offspring, meaning Adam was sinless. And because Adam was sinless, he would produce sinless offspring, sinless holy children. Man was to subdue the earth. Bring the earth to completion. The earth was complete as far as God's work of creating was concerned. And now the earth lay in wait for man to subdue it. For man to bring it to consummation or Completion. Man was to have dominion over what? All the earth. When you read Genesis 26, 126 through 30, the Lord God did not leave out one aspect of the earth when he commanded man to have dominion over the earth. Have dominion over what? The fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every living thing that moves on the earth, every green plant. There was nothing outside of the rule of man. The dominion of man on the earth. Man was to reign as king over God's earth. As God reigned as king over all of creation. And then God, in Genesis 2.8, planted a garden in the east. In Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. We learn that this is, uh, again, temple language. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden which was the first temple. We call it the garden temple. Man was to be priest of this temple, to work this temple, to expand this temple beyond the borders of Eden to where? To the very ends of the earth. Man was to expand the garden temple. And by expanding the garden temple, man expands the glory of God, the the unique presence of God's the unique presence of God in Eden. To the ends of the of the earth, Adam was to keep the garden, to protect it, to protect the garden from any unclean thing. He was to keep the garden pure from defilement. He was to ensure the holiness of the garden temple, to stop at no lengths from guarding it from evil. Verse 15 in chapter two, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat. Well, you may not. You may surely not eat of the tree. For if you eat of it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day you will surely die. The Lord God made a covenant with the man. It was a covenant of works. Do not eat of this tree. If you disobey, you shall surely die. If you obey, you shall live. If Adam had obeyed the command of God, if he had kept the covenant of works. He would have earned rest from his work. He would have earned, achieved by his work, the Sabbath rest that God entered into on his seventh day. If Adam would have obeyed, if he would have 
kept the covenant of works. He would have entered into the Creator's rest or the Creator's Sabbath. It's so important that you understand Adam would have earned this. Adam could have earned this righteousness through his obedience. Adam would have earned through his work glory. All things are in place for man. All of the earth is under his subjection. He is to be the, the, the dominator of the earth. All things were in place for Adam to succeed. All of nature at his disposal to be used for the purpose of bringing it to completion. The earth the animals, the trees were to be a means that Adam used to bring the earth to consummation. And in one final decision or one fatal decision. One act of disobedience. All of creation. Came crashing down. In one fatal decision. One act of disobedience. All of creation came crashing down. Brothers and sisters, let us this morning consider Adam's curse. Number one, the reason for Adam's curse. Verse 17 of chapter 3. To Adam he said, because you listened to the voice of your wife. And have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Brothers and sisters, pause. Let me ask you a question. Why is the world the way that it is? Why is the world the way that it is? Why is the world riddled with pain? Why is the world riddled with sickness? With death and despair? I wonder how you might answer that question. I wonder how you might begin to explain our world's fallen condition or the reason for our world's fallen condition. We, we might say or we may answer the reason why the world is the way that it is. Is because of sin. The reason why the world is stricken with pain, stricken with sickness and death and despair is because of sin. Sin is the pandemic worldwide disease that has brought catastrophe to all of the world. It's because of man's sin that we are in this condition that we are in. Brothers and sisters, that would be a good answer. And you would not be wrong, completely wrong, if you answered that question in such a way. But the answer of man's sin is only half an answer. Our world is the way that it is because... God is who he is. Our world is the way that it is because God is who he is. What do I mean by that? If God were not righteous, if God were not holy, and if God were not just in his judgment, then the world would not be what it is. If God were not just, he could have simply winked his eye and dismissed the sin of man. But God is just. God is righteous. God is holy. God is holy and man is sinful and man is in need of a savior. Because God is holy, the world has suffered a righteous judgment from a holy God. Because God is holy, the world is what it is. Because God is righteous and will not simply wink his eye at sin. The world is what it is. Why is the world the way that it is? Because God has done this. Because God has done this. If God was not holy. If God did not care about sin and judging and serious about judging sin. Then the world may be different. But would you want to live in such a world? And would you want to be subject to such a God? God has executed righteous judgment, holy judgment on sin. 
God has done this. What does God's word declare about God? Ecclesiastes 7.13 or 7.13. Consider what God has done. Consider the work of God. Listen to what the Bible says. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? What does the apostle Paul declare in Romans 8.20? For the creation was subjected. To futility or frustration, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. What is Paul saying? The world is the way it is because God is who he is. Brothers and sisters, consider what God has done. Now pause. And ask yourself, how does that sit with you? We must not simply point to sin. God judged the world because of sin. And what we see now is the result of God's judgment upon sin. God's righteous, holy judgment upon sin. What kind of God would bring such a judgment upon this world? Brothers and sisters, a God who takes sin seriously. Our problem is that we don't take sin seriously. We don't feel the weight of our rebellion against God. Simply because we are haters of God by nature. Because we, by nature, hate God. We think that the things that we do that are an affront to God, a sin to God, are no big deal. Because we are not holy. But He is. God takes sin so seriously that He would send His only Son to pay the penalty for the seriousness of sin. That's how serious sin is. His one and only holy righteous son to die the death in the place of unrighteous sinners. And when we look at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, what do we see? We witness the true weight of God's hatred towards sin. And we also witness at the very same time God's great love toward those who are in bondage to sin. When we read of the curse upon man. We should not be thinking first. How can I not be like my first parents? Because this is surely what God is showing me. No. We would be thinking of us first. We must first think God what are you showing me about you? And what is God showing us about himself in the curse of man? He is showing us that he is holy. And that he does not stand by idle as his creatures trample over his commands. He does not stand by idle. He does not do anything when his creatures, his creation, trample underfoot his word, his righteous law. Never may it be. Why was Adam cursed? What was the reason of his curse? Because God is holy. Because God is holy. This is primarily most important for you to understand. Number two. Adam's rejection of God's voice. God's re Adam's rejection of God's voice. Verse 17. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife. And have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. You see that? The Lord God confronts Adam and his rebellion to what? What did Adam rebel against? God's voice. And what is God's voice? What does God say? When God speaks, they are his commands. Adam listened to the voice of his wife rather than the voice of God. Or to say it another way, Adam listened to the voice of a creature rather than the voice of his creator. Adam forsook the commands of God for the suggestion of his wife. And his, her suggestion may have been more than a suggestion. It may have been an imploring, please eat. Or it may have been a command, eat this. God's command, do not eat. It could have been the woman's command. Honey, eat this. 
And Adam forsook what God had commanded for what his woman may have commanded. He chose to align himself with his wife rather than align himself with his God. Brothers and sisters, Adam violated God's law. He broke the covenant of works, which we will discuss in a moment. But Adam also violated, disobeyed the law of nature. What is the law of nature? It is that law of God, which would later be written on tablets of stone, but is written on the hearts of every man, woman, boy, and girl created in the image of God. We all know this law. We all keep this law, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. We all know that it is wrong to murder. It is the law of nature. We all know that it is wrong to steal. It is the law of nature. We all know that it is wrong to covet, to commit adultery, to disobey our parents, to worship false gods, to not keep a Sabbath. Because God has written these laws on our hearts and on our minds. It is natural for us to obey these laws. Hence, The law of nature. Adam not only violated the positive law of God in the covenant of works, but Adam also violated the law of nature in his disobedience. And how did Adam violate the law of nature, that which was written on his heart? What law did he uh, break, disobey besides the eating of the tree that God forbade? As if that was not enough. The Lord God commands, you shall have no other gods before me. And what did Adam do? Adam exalted his wife above his God. You shall have you shall not make for yourself a carved image image and you shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, am a jealous God. And what did Adam do? Adam bowed down and served the will of his wife rather than the will of his God. You shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. And what did Adam do? Adam did not believe God. Adam profaned the name of God, the promise of God, and the command of God when he, by his own free will, trampled on the commands of God. He took God's name in vain. To disobey God is to call God a liar. And to thereby take his name in vain. And it may be possible to journey through the rest of the Ten Commandments and rightly find a reason why Adam violated the remaining seven moral laws. But the first three are surely more than enough. The first three are surely more than enough for God to strike down this man to the dust from whence he came. Adam, because you listen to your wife and not because you because you listen to your wife and not your God cursed are you. Now, let us be clear. Our wives are joint heirs with us in the grace of life. Men are not superior to women in any way. And the women said, Amen. You're slow this morning, but you're worth waiting for. Brother, could you turn the AC on, please? We are given headship over our wives. By the ordained will of God. But we are not given superiority over our wives. That was a little bit louder this time, women. And let this also be clear. Men should listen to their wives. They have been given to us as helpmates. Women, as we said last week, have the potential to be great blessings. Listen, not just of love and affection. But of wisdom. And support in their husband's lives. They have the great potential. Potential is the operative word. Not just to be great blessings of love and affection. But to also be great blessings of wisdom and support in the lives of their husbands. Men, we should receive their counsel. And there have been countless times that I have thanked God after the fact. Of the wise and prudent wife. That the Lord God has given me. And the wise and prudent counsel that she has often given me. And God has often used her to break my pride more than a hundred times. 
How many times? And counting. That I might heed to the wisdom of her words. But listen, men. But we must never listen to the voice of our wives over the voice of God. We listen to our wives insofar as their advice is wise and faithful to God's word. But we must, ne we must never prefer the voice of our wives or the voice of any other person for that matter over the voice of our God. Adam was in his right mind. He was able to sin, able not to sin. He, his reasoning was not disabled. His understanding was not darkened, and yet this once reasonable creature made the most unreasonable decision, the most unreasonable choice in aligning himself with his wife, and thereby aligning himself with Satan against God. Who had the wife, who had the woman joined in her disobedience? At, at, at whose suggestion did she eat? At the suggestion of the serpent? Satan in the guise of a serpent. And by Adam joining his wife, he is also thereby joining Satan. It was Satan who was behind the deception. The woman had already been deceived and now she was being used to also deceive her husband. Men, I say this with all the love and compassion within me. I say this with the firmness of a man charged by God to preach God's word. You men must learn to graciously, firmly and bluntly. Let me say that again. Graciously, firmly and bluntly say no to your wives. When they suggest or when what they suggest Pulls you away, you and your family, away from your God. You must say no. Men, listen to me. You must learn the grace and the firmness of saying no. When what your wife suggests could pull you away, you and your family away from your God. Say no. Let's, move, let's use this money extravagantly and not give our tithe. No. Let's stay home from worship on the Lord's Day Sabbath. Let's sleep in. No. I'm going to stay home from worship with no good idea, with no, with no good reason. I'm going to stay home from worship today. No, you're not. The children will stay home from worship today. Why? They don't need to go. No, they will not. Men, you are responsible for your wives and your children. You are charged with purifying your wife. You are charged with readying your wife, preparing your wife to stand before God. You are charged with discipling your children for them to be arrows shot out into the world that they might be witnesses of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are charged with this man. How many families have started out well only to be joined with Satan because a husband was unwilling to say no? Men, whose voice are you listening to this morning? Whose voice determines the way that you resolve to go and the way that you will leave your family, lead your family. The Lord Jesus Christ said, my sheep hear my voice. And what do they do? They don't go in the other direction. And they follow me. If there is a voice that would attempt to lead you away from the Lord, may you be given the grace by God to say no. Number three, the broken covenant of works and the cursed ground. The broken covenant of works and the cursed ground. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. The Lord God made a covenant with Adam. 
Adam was to work and the goal of his work was a consummated earth to earn an eternal rest, an eternal Sabbath. By Adam's work, listen, and his obedience, he could have earned that glorious end. He could have earned it. But because of his disobedience to the command of God, the ground would now resist him in spite of his hard work. In spite of all of his hard work, in spite of, in spite of his, his toil, but in spite of the, the, the sweat from his brow, the earth would resist him. What was Adam's initial posture in the earth? Dominion. There was not one thing that was outside of his dominion. Not one thing that was outside of his rule, which implies that fruit would come forth with ease. That vegetation would come forth with ease. Imagine planting and it actually grows. Because you are dom dominating over it. Adam was called to bring Eden to the world. The work of expanding the garden temple. It was a pure joy for Adam. It was not a burden. It was not hard work for Adam. It was joyful, glad, fulfilling work. And now, not only will his wife resist him, the very ground from which he came will also resist him. No matter how much work he puts forth, no matter how much effort, his survival will now be by the sweat of his brow. But think even deeper. Think even deeper. This is not just about the ground resisting his work. This is not just about food not coming forth after hard work with ease as it once did. This is about a broken covenant. A covenant of works which promised Adam life if he did what? If he worked. And if he did what? Obeyed perfectly. If he obeyed. If he worked. He would have earned by his work. Life. Life eternal. Rest eternal. Adam could have earned eternal life. He could have entered into the Creator's Sabbath rest. And it would have been a joy for him. Not a burden. He could have earned this by his obedience. But now the covenant is broken. And now, listen, no matter how hard he works, no matter what good deed he does, man will not be able to earn for himself the eternal life that he lost as a result of his rebellion. Do you see that? All of his works, all of his good deeds will only produce thorns and thistles. Yes, this is true about the ability to produce fruit, but it is also true about his ability to work and to achieve a salvation of his own soul. You hear that? He could have earned life. And now, the covenant is broken. He cannot. The scripture was read this morning. Isaiah 64. All of his deeds. All of his work. All of his righteous acts. They will be as filthy rags before God. Adam, you can't save yourself. You can't earn what you want. That which you once could earn. Man, now. By his own righteousness can never rightly stand before God. In Adam, all die. In Adam, all die. The covenant of works has been broken. All the commands, all the good deeds of the sons of Adam thereafter will not be able to repair what Adam has lost in the garden until we come to the new covenant. Until we come to the second and better Adam. Every covenant after that, before the new covenant, is unwilling to repair what man lost in the garden. He will work all of his life, and his work will be hard. Just like the woman who will bring forth children in pain. In pain, man will eat food from the ground all the days of his life, and it will be with pain. His work will not be a joy. 
his work will be a curse. And, he, and his work, both in the ground and for his own salvation, will produce only thorns and thistles. And men, you know this all too well, don't you? In your work, you know this all too well. If you love your job, praise God for the gift of mercy that he's given you to love your job. But for far more men, you know the, the curse of painful work all too well. You know the dread of waking up day after dreadful day to go to a dreadful job that you dread. You know the pain of waking up day after day. And for some of you oil men, I feel for you. So for some of you drivers, I feel for you. The inhumane hours that you must wake up. The inhumane hours that you must work. To do what? Just to survive. Just to pay bills. To go to a job that you hate with every fiber of your being. You know the curse. You know the curse. But let us be clear. Work is not cursed. Work is not cursed. Work is a creation ordinance. Work is not sinful. You may hate your job, but your job is not sinful. Your job is just no longer a joy. As it was intended to be in the beginning. In the beginning when all things were good. And there is the harsh reality. That women will resist man's headship. That the ground will resist his work. That work will, will produce a disdain for men to work. Because of the curse, men will run from their God-ordained responsibility at home and at work. Why? Because it's cursed. They don't want to deal with mom or the wife at home, so they will stay away from home. They hate their jobs, and so they will become lazy men. Men will be derelict fathers and lazy laborers. Men will be absent from the home, pursuers of get-rich-quick schemes in order to avoid any appearance of work in their lives because they hate the curse. They run from home to run from the contentious wife. They run from work to, to run to avoid the hard work that it is. And we have a bunch of lazy, derelict men running the streets. Irresponsible. Refusing to take care of their children, refusing to take care of their wives. And this is the curse of God upon man. It is reflective of what man did not do in the garden. He did not guard his wife. And now your curse will be to run from your wife. You did not work to keep the garden. And now your curse will be you will work, but it will not be a joy any longer. And once again, thus, the empty fantasy, the empty promise of the serpent has been exposed. What has Satan promised? That man could be like God. That man and woman could be like God. And what was the result of his promise? What was the, the, the final say of what Satan had promised? The fantasy bubble has been popped. Here's what you get. Sorrow. Sweat. Resistance. And dust. The fantasy of Satan's lie. That he could be like God. This fantasy of Satan's lie that, that he could have the world and beyond. Be like God. You are dust. The woman received pain and a sinful desire for her husband, for his authority. Man received resistance, sorrow, pain, sweat, and dust. Brothers and sisters, what is God doing? What is he doing? Remember, God, what are you showing me about yourself? God is drawing a picture. And showing us that the way of sin is hard. 
the way of the transgressor is hard. Or this is where sin leads. The wages of sin is death. The work would once produce an expanded glory of the temple will now resist the man. The man will work and nothing will come about from it. To the unbeliever who is possibly sitting here this morning, this is your lot in life. If you reject the Lord Jesus Christ. To the sinner who may be sitting here this morning. All of your righteous deeds. Are filthy rags before God. Your life will be nothing more than sorrow, resistance, pain and sweat. Until you return to the dust. For you are dust. Now, that seems like very bad news, doesn't it? And that's the point. But thank God it's not the final word. The sorrow I know that you feel on this Christmas Eve. At this point in the sermon. By the grace of God, we pray is turned to joy. Because our last point is hope. Against all hope. Hope against all hope. Verse 19. By the sweat of your brow, of your face, you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Verse 20. Then man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Next week we shall consider the death, the curse of death in a more lengthy sermon. But man's greatest curse is that which God promised would happen to him if he broke the covenant of work saying in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17, "In the day that you eat of it you shall surely die." What does God promise if man disobeys? Death. Did man Immediately die. As we shall see next week, he was exiled from the garden temple. He was exiled from the presence of God. To be separated from God is death. So God is being true to his word. Adam will die. He will be separated from God. And to be separated from God is death. Spiritual death. But God was gracious to Adam. How so? In that God did not physically kill Adam the moment that he disobeyed his maker, but allowed him by grace, mercy, to live another day. To live another second. To live another second. The moment that Adam disobeyed God, God could have surely and rightly struck him down to the very dust. But God allows Adam and the woman to stay alive long enough to experience another aspect of his perfections. And that is that God is a God of grace. Why is the world the way that it is? We may have struggled to we may have struggled with that answer at the outset of this this sermon. God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. We may be tempted to see God's judgment upon humanity as being too severe, being too harsh. You mean all the pain, all the suffering, all the turmoil is because God's judgment upon man for sin. That may seem harsh. But we would be overlooking the grace of God and that he did not immediately kill Adam after he sinned, but allowed him another day or even another another second to live long enough to hear. He. The seed of the woman. Shall crush your head. And you shall bruise his heel. You hear that? God allowed Adam to live long enough to hear what? The gospel. 
God, by his grace, allowed Adam enough time, spared him more time, spared him more life to live long enough to hear. He shall crush your head. What hope is there? This could have been much worse. He could have immediately strike, struck down all of humanity after our sin, but he spared us. And not only spared us, but gave us a promise of redemption from our sin. In the midst of hopelessness, the Lord God makes a promise, the promised covenant of grace. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The promise of the coming skull crushing seed of the woman. He he will be born of woman. Woman will survive. Woman will live. And how will she produce fruit? Through the man. But God will be the one to bring the seed to this woman. Not man. Man is in sin. God will send this skull crushing seed of the woman to redeem man. To save man. To be a substitute for man. He will be the new Adam, the better Adam. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. But what is the response of Adam? Adam heard the gospel in Genesis 3.15. He hears the curse of the woman. Hears the curse of the man. And what does he say? What does he do? The man called his wife's name Eve. She finally has a name, ladies. She's no longer the woman. I'm sure men have been calling their wives woman around the house during this series. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Why is this verse there? Simply to tell us the name of the woman finally? No. This verse is present to inform us that Adam believed the gospel. This verse is present to, to show us that Adam believed the promise of the Lord. He believed that there would come a seed from the woman. And God, Adam gives to this woman a name. She is Eve. She is the mother of all living. And she will bring forth that seed, that conquering lion of Judah. And because Adam believed, it was accredited to him as righteousness. Because of his own work? No. He can no longer keep the covenant of works. He must now place his faith in another. And he places his faith in God who will send a deliverer and places his faith in that deliverer who will come through that woman. She will be the mother of all the living. Adam declares, blessed be the Lord. He is not done with me. He's not treated me as my sins deserved. Adam names the woman Eve. And every time he sees that woman, every time he sees that woman, he is reminded of the promise. It is Adam. If I could say this with the right perspective, it is Adam who is now no longer in Adam. But Adam who is now by the grace of God in Christ as he looked forward to the Christ, the seed, the skull crushing seed of the woman. And it is in Christ that he is saved by faith in that skull-crushing seed of the woman born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem that we, not only during this season, but every Lord's Day celebrate. Imagine, he could have struck down man the moment that man sinned, but he gives all men, all men the freedom to, to hear the gospel and draws his elect to himself. You are celebrating Christmas today, tomorrow. Some of you today. You were opening gifts. You were eating food. You will sit around tables with families. You will sit in front of trees and open gifts. We sinful people that could have rightly and should have rightly been struck down the moment that we've sinned some thousands of years later are still here. And we who have rebelled against God can celebrate. Oh, God is so gracious. God is so merciful. 
We celebrate our king of kings. Born in the manger, raised under the law, lived in perfect obedience, died the substitutionary death of a criminal, rose as a glorious conquering savior and redeemer of sin. Who now sits at the right hand of the father, makes intercession for those that he foreknew before the foundation of the world. Adam believed in that seed of the woman. Though not with full revelation. With complete faith. This is the first account, I believe, of faith. Faith says, I do not trust in myself. Faith says, I I have done nothing to save myself. I did not contribute one ounce of effort to my own salvation. There will be no person in heaven who boasts of how they contributed to their own salvation. Everyone in heaven is a Calvinist. This is true faith. And faith is only as good as the object of your faith. And the object of our faith is the Lord Jesus Christ. This season, brothers and sisters, fix your eyes on Jesus. Teach your children not to count how many gifts are under their tree. But to count the many blessings that God has given to us in sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to redeem us of our sin. Don't allow your children to be consumed by the culture of this world that says it's all about them. It's not. I've had a hard, my wife and I have had a hard time this season teaching our son Nazareth. It's not about you, son. Opening gifts. Are there any more? Pray for my my wife and I. To rear a child of his sinfulness is difficult work. Where are you this morning, brothers and sisters? Who are you trusting in? Are you in Adam who was no longer in Adam? Or are you in Christ? Let us consider these things this morning as we conclude this time of worship in God's word. And as we prepare our hearts for the partaking of the Lord's table. Let's pray.